to 1 Kings chapter 17. On Sunday morning, we're in a sermon series looking at the prophets of old. Listening to what they had to say to the rulers of their day. Listening to what they had to say to the people of their day. Listening what they had to say to the nation of Israel. And to the people that call themselves the people of God. This morning we're looking at, in my estimation, maybe yours as well, the second greatest prophet there has ever been. I say that he's second because the Lord Jesus Christ said the first and greatest prophet was John the Baptist. But Elijah, I believe, was the second. In many ways, John the Baptist was a prototype of Elijah. In fact, when many people came out to hear John the Baptist preach, they said he preached in the spirit of Elijah. And so we're looking at a prophet of prophets. A Superman prophet among the Clark Kents of his day. In 1 Kings chapter 17, we're introduced to it. And it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to King Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel is alive and liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be any dew nor rain for these years, but according to my word. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Israel. What's going on in the church of that day? What's going on in the people of that time? As Elijah makes his appearance on the scene. Israel, God's nation supposedly, has become a cesspool of toxic idolatry, immorality, and injustice. Time after time, God has sent grace and mercy to the nation, to the rulers, to the people. And each time, that grace and mercy has been rejected. God has called for them, He's pleaded with them, to repent of their sins that He might bless them and make them become who He always wanted them to become, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And yet, for the most part, God's calls and pleas to the nation, to the leadership, and to the people have been ignored, mocked, and rejected. The prophets that He raised up and sent to speak for Him their message was received, but it was not heeded. These prophets were scorned, they were abused, they were imprisoned, and they were murdered in the name of the Lord. It is into this boiling pot, it is into this cauldron of savagery and sin that God is about to send the prophet Elijah. Elijah has been sent by God on a mission. He's been sent to go to the capital of Israel. He has been sent to address King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, whose names are synonymous with evil. 
Now let me tell you a little bit about King Ahab. First of all, King Ahab was a politically weak man. He really wasn't interested in ruling Israel. He was interested in the perks and the benefits that come out of being the king. Ahab was a skirt chaser. He was interested in women. He was an alcoholic. He was interested in wine. He loved sports and recreation. That was his passion. He did not care about the nation. He did not care about the people. He cared about himself. He was a politically weak, morally wicked man. He was a coward in many ways. To the one who really ran Israel at that time. And that was his wife, Queen Jezebel. Jezebel was a devoted, fanatical follower of the god Baal. Baal was a Canaanite god. And you worshipped Baal through violence and through immoral sex. And Jezebel led Israel into the darkness, into the demonic worship of this so-called god Baal. She directly was responsible for building altars of worship to this God. She was directly responsible for promoting gross sexual immorality in the worship of this God. She was directly responsible for offering human sacrifices of children and babies to this God. She was directly responsible for ordering all and any vestiges of the God of heaven removed from Israel. This woman was a personification of the devil himself. And it's to this corrupt nation, it's to this crooked nation, that God sends Elijah. It's to this demonic duo, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, that God sends his best, the prophet Elijah. Now what I want us to do is look at his life in an overview. There's no way that I can go into all of it in the time that I have. But I hope there'll be something that I say that will spurn an interest in you. Create a, a, a hunger or a thirst in you to want to do a study of his life. He's one of the most fascinating men in the Bible. But he was just a man, as we're going to see. Five things I want you to see about Elijah. A giant for God. A man that God used to shake a nation. A man that God used to seize the moment. A man that God used to say, let's roll! To God's people in that day. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Let's look at his virtues. What does God look for in a man? What does God look for in a woman? What does God look for in a young person that he is going to use in a great and mighty way? Well, in chapter 17, verse 1, notice how Elijah just all of a sudden appears. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was one of the inhabitants of Gilead, was sent to Ahab, King Ahab. And he said to the king, As the Lord God of Israel lives, 
before whom I stand. There shall not be any dew nor rain, no moisture whatsoever, none, for three and a half years, according to my word. Now the nation of Israel is crooked and corrupt. The leadership of Israel is demonic and dark. The people of Israel don't seem to care. They're ignorant and apathetic. They don't know and they don't care. And it's into this Elijah steps out. It's interesting that he comes without any warning. He comes without any introduction. No mail is sent out saying he's on his way. Television doesn't say he's on his way. No radio says he's on his way. There's no ticker tape parade to say he's on his way. He just all of a sudden appears seemingly out of nowhere. And he is sent by God to bring a nation and a leadership and a people back to God if possible. Now, what are the virtues that God would look for in such a man? Well, let's look at a few of them very quickly. First of all, when you look at the life of Elijah and his virtues, you see, first of all, a man that is uncompromising. He could not and he would not compromise or appease the Word of God. He would not compromise. There was no appeasement. What is right is right. What is wrong is wrong. Thus saith the Lord. That's the way it is. He was a man of convictions. You couldn't buy him, you couldn't bully him, and you couldn't bribe him. Don't you wish we had some like that today? He was a man who was uncompromising when it came to what was true and what was righteous. He had another virtue, secondly. He was conscious of God's calling upon his life. Elijah wasn't called by his daddy. We don't even know who his dad and mom was. We don't know if he had any brothers or sisters. We don't know what he was like as a child. We don't know what he was like as a teenager. We don't know what he did as a young man. We're not sure if he was married. We don't know anything about him. But we know this. God tapped him on the shoulder one day and said, You're going to be my prophet. And he knew that and he believed that. He never questioned his calling from God. Thirdly, he was a man who knew God personally and intimately. He had a relationship with God. He didn't have a religion. He had a relationship with God. God spoke to him through the Word. The Bible of that day, God spoke to him through. And he spoke to God through prayer. Elijah walked with God each and every day. Fourthly, he was a man of action. When you study the life of Elijah, you're not going to find a man that just talked the talk. Talk's cheap. He walked the walk. When he saw something needed to be done, he did it. He was a man of action. Take charge. He was also, fifthly, As we look at his virtues, willing to stand, even if it meant standing alone against sin. 
He was willing to stand alone on what is right. That goes back to the fact he was a man of convictions. He understood what was right or wrong, and he stood on what was right or wrong. Even if it meant he stood alone. He didn't need a crowd to approve him. He did not need a poll to tell him what he needed to do. He knew what was right and wrong. He was also, sixthly, a man of prayer. He knew how to pray. He wore out his knees before he wore out the backside of his britches. He was a man who lived a holy life. Doesn't mean he was perfect, but he kept short accounts with God. Each and every day he got up and took a spiritual bath. He confessed his sin. He took ownership of the things he said and did that was wrong. He confessed his sin to God and said, God, I said it and I did it. And I have no one to blame. I have no defense. I'm guilty as confessed. I'm guilty as charged. But God, you say that if I will confess my sin to you, you will be faithful and just to forgive me of that sin and wash and cleanse me and make me new and make me whole. And he did that every day. Therefore, he maintained the presence of holiness in his life. He also spoke against evil. Not only did he stand against it, he spoke out against it. He wasn't afraid to say, this is wrong. He didn't need a committee to vote on it. He didn't need deacons to approve it. He didn't need a church to have to cast a ballot if you can do it or not. He took a stand. What is right is right. What is wrong is wrong. And he not only stood against it, he spoke against it. In many ways, when you look at Elijah, whom God called to be the prophet of that day, when that day needed a voice from him, when you look at Elijah, what you're seeing, ladies and gentlemen, is a black diamond. A black diamond. How many of you have ever seen a black diamond with your own eyes? Maybe one of you, two of you at the most. You know why you don't find black diamonds? Because they're extremely rare. They're extremely priceless. There's no monetary value you can put on a black diamond because they're so rare, they're so precious. But when you see one, you know you've seen it. Because they're conspicuous, they stand out like a sore thumb. And what I'm trying to get you to see, ladies and gentlemen, is Elijah was God's black diamond. He was a rare breed of man. He was priceless in his value to God and God's kingdom. And he was conspicuous. There was no doubt whose side he was on. And there was no doubt whose God he represented. And when these kind of men appear on the scene, and there's not been many of them in history, God is up to something. God was up to something when the black diamond Elijah appeared. God was up to something when John the Baptist appeared, another black diamond. And maybe we'll see a black diamond. And that should tell us that God is about to do something mighty big, and we better be ready. 
He was a man of virtue. The second thing I want you to know about him this morning is we're looking at this prophet that God called to a nation, to a leadership, to a people that were far, far, far from him. I want us to look at his prayers. His prayers. Notice when he went in chapter 17, verse 1 again, when he went to King Ahab, he made an announcement that he learned through his time with God. Remember, he was a man who walked with God, and he was a man who prayed to God. He was a man that God spoke to as well. And it says that he went to King Ahab in chapter 17, verse 1, and he took a message with him. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be any dew nor rain. Absolutely no moisture will come out of the sky or anywhere else for 42 months, three and a half years, according to my word. That's interesting that in the book of James, James, who was a man of prayer in the New Testament, and talking about prayer in his book in the fifth chapter, brings mention of Elijah. James chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then he says in verse 17, Elijah was such a man. I'm such a man of what? A man of prayer. Subject to like passions just like we are. But he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it did not rain on the earth for the space of three years and six months. Elijah was a man of prayer. The old Kingsman Quartet had a song. Maybe you heard that song years ago. When Mama prayed, heaven paid attention. Well, I want to take Mama out of it this time and say when Elijah prayed, heaven paid attention. When that man got down on his knees and started petitioning heaven, God the Father's listened. God the Son listened. God the Spirit listened. The angelic host stopped. They, he had something to say and heaven wanted to hear it. He was a man who knew how to connect with God. And because he spent so much time on his knees before God, he now could stand before King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Understand the truth. If you will spend time on your knees before God, you can stand before anyone or anything in this world. And he did. His message... To Ahab was very simple, plain, and clear. There will not be no moisture, no rain for 42 months, three and a half years. Israel is going to be dry. There'll be dryness, there'll be desolation, and there'll be death. But there'll be no rain. Marie Antoinette is quoted as saying, let them eat cake. <laughs> you know what Elijah said? Let them eat dust. There'll be no water for three and a half years, he said to King Ahab. Now, where did he get this kind of power to make that kind of statement? 
through prayer. There's power in prayer. That's a good place for an amen. There's power in prayer. And Elijah was a man who prayed. His prayers were short. He wasn't a long-winded prayer man. He prayed short prayers, simple prayers, specific prayers, scriptural prayers, sincere prayers. He believed that when you pray, what you're doing is inviting God to come down and be part of what you're dealing with. He believed that God could meet every need. He believed that God could eliminate every threat. He believed that God could bring calmness in every chaos. He believed that God could rule over every circumstance. He believed that God could bring peace in every conflict. He believed that. He believed what the prophet Jeremiah said. Call upon the Lord and He will what? Ignore you. No, He will answer you. And when He answers you, He will come and He will show you things you could never know. He'll do for you things you could never do. Prayer was Elijah's invitation to God to come from heaven down to earth. And bring His wisdom and power, His omniscience and His omnipotence. Take care of things. Wow. Don't you wish we could live like that? We get stressed out and worried over every little thing. When there's a God in heaven who just stands waiting to help if we just ask. Now we're looking at Elijah. The nation's in trouble. The leadership's in trouble. The people don't seem to care. They're ignorant and apathetic of what's going on. And wicked themselves. So God raises up Elijah. He sends a man who has virtue. God always uses virtuous people. He sends a man who's a man of prayer. A man who knows how to connect with the heavenlies. He also sends a man who is going to perform miracles. In 1 Kings 17, you'll continue looking. You'll notice in verse 14, Elijah is going to perform a miracle for a poor widow. It says in verse 14 of chapter 17, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, This barrel of meal shall not waste. Neither shall the cruse of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And then in verse 21 and 22, he's going to do something else for this widow. It says, Elijah stretched himself upon her son three times. In other words, he covered himself over the child three times. And he cried to the Lord as he did that and said, O Lord my God, I pray to you, let this child's soul come back into his body again. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, the prayer of Elijah, and the soul of the child returned back to his body, and he was resurrected from the dead. Wow. Now let me kind of keep things in a time context for you. Elijah, called of God, goes to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. He tells them that because of their sin because they will not repent, because they will not forsake the worship of their God Baal. The God of heaven, the true and the living God, is going to cut off all moisture and all rain to the nation, to the people. 
for three and a half years, 42 months. After he's given that message, he disappears for a period of time. He just goes into hiding, you might say. He actually didn't go into hiding. Where he went, ladies and gentlemen, is he went to school. When God calls a man, God will educate the man. And God sent Elijah, after he delivered the message of no rain for three and a half years, God sent Elijah to Desert University. The Apostle Paul would later himself go to Desert University. And there God would be the teacher. And God would teach Elijah and others later the truth and the righteousness that he wants them to understand and wants them to proclaim. It was there in Desert University that Elijah found a place to stay. Way out in the desert, way out in the out country, there was a widow. She was poor as a church mouse. She didn't have anything except a son. And when Elijah arrives on the scene, all she has is enough flour and enough meal to make one more batch of biscuits. She has just enough oil to make one more batch of biscuits. And once she makes these biscuits, her and her son will have nothing to eat. But Elijah comes. He's a host. She's a host. He's a guest. She has to feed him. That was customary in that day. You can't be rude to, to someone who visits with you. So she took the last meal that she had, the last oil that she had, and she made some homemade biscuits for Elijah. She fed God's man. And she didn't have any more money. There was no Walmart. There was no Bilo. There was no food line to go to. She's out of groceries. And Elijah says to her, because you have been gracious to me, God has given me a message to you. Each and every morning you wake up, the flour container will be filled. The oil container will be filled. Every single day when you wake up in the morning, your refrigerator is going to have some groceries in it. And that will go on until it rains again. So each morning she got up, rattled some pots and pans, and made some biscuits. Then in the evening she made some cornbread. Put out some butter, some honey, some jelly, and fed the prophet and her son and herself. Every single day she got up, the flour bowl was filled again. The oil was filled. The miracle of the refilling. There came a time in this widow's life when her son, her treasure, died. He was dead. And she asked Elijah if he could do anything. And Elijah said, my God is able. Don't you wish we could say that? Our God is able. And so Elijah talked to God in prayer, got a word from God what to do. And he stretched himself out over the boy. Covered him with himself. Did it three times. And the boy came back to life. The boy was resurrected from the dead by the prophet. Now think with me. If you've been listening, you know where this power came from. Where did Elijah get the power to stop the rain for three and a half years? Where did he get the power 
to constantly see the flour and the oil refilled every morning? Where did he get the power to raise this dead boy from the, from the grave and give him life again? It came from God. And why did God give Elijah that kind of power? Because he did what? He prayed. He had the audacity, ladies and gentlemen, to ask God to do miracles. We don't see a lot of miracles today because we don't ask God to do any. We put limitations on God. We have a small God in many Baptist churches. He's a little midget. So we live our lives in nervousness and stress and doubt and fear, constantly worrying about this and that when there's a God in heaven who is able. And Elijah knew that. Now remember I told you Elijah was sent there to go to what? School. You say, well, pastor, just because he did those miracles through prayer, what did all that have to do with later? I'll tell you. Glad you asked that question. Because when his time at Desert University is over, when his time with this poor widow is done, God now sends him to Mount Caramel. And on the top of Mount Caramel, Elijah, by himself, is going to stand against 850 prophets of Baal. Okay? Now, if you ladies and gentlemen were voting, not voting, if you were betting, were Baptists, some Baptists bet. I'll leave it at that. Who would you put your money on? Elijah over here, one. 850 prophets of Baal over here. It's another David and Goliath story. We would put our money on the prophets Baal, most probably. 850 against one, that's going to be a slaughter. Well, the contest is going to be whose God is real. Is the God of heaven real or is Baal real? And so the, the, the contest involves building an altar. Each Elijah builds an altar to his God. The prophets of Baal build an altar to their God. They put a sacrifice on each altar. And then they begin to pray. And whosoever God hears their prayer first and consumes the sacrifice on their altar first is the winner. So 850 prophets of Baal begin to pray that their God will send fire down from heaven and consume the dry altar and the dry sacrifice. Elijah has put water on his altar. Can you imagine that? He throws water all over the altar. He puts water on the sacrifice. Water and fire don't go along, do they? What he's saying is, my God it can make a sacrifice fire even when it's wet. And he did. He voiced it up. And he began to pray. And all of a sudden, God answered. Which God? The God of heaven. He, come to, he sent a fire bolt from heaven and consumed that entire sacrifice. And then Elijah, along with a little help from his friends. That'd make a good song, wouldn't it? <laughs> Slew the 850 false prophets. Sent him to the grave. You see, that's what God was teaching him with that widow. That God is able. If God can keep refilling a flower pot, F-L-O-U-R pot, if God can continue to fill an oil canister, if God can raise a young man from the dead, then God can defeat 850 prophets of Baal without any sweat. 
Fourthly, as we move toward the end, God has called Elijah to be his prophet. He chose Elijah because he was a man of virtue. He chose Elijah because he was a man of prayer. He chose Elijah because he was a man who believed that God could work miracles in him and through him, and God did, and God would. But he also was a man. How many of you are humans? Raise your hand. Just checking. I didn't know if we had any robots in the house. Any reptiles disguised as humans in the house. Just ask you. Well, Elijah was a man just like we are. He put his pants on one leg at a time just like we did. And there came a time in his life when he battled with depression. In 1 Kings 19, let's read just a few verses. King Ahab, chapter 19, verse 1, King Ahab told Jezebel, this weak man told his strong wife, Jezebel, what Elijah had done to the prophets of Baal, how he had slain all 850 of her prophets, of her prophets. Verse 2, Jezebel was angry, and she sent a messenger with a note to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not take your life, just like you took the life of the prophets, my prophets, by tomorrow at this time. And when Elijah saw this note, he arose and he ran for his life, verse 3. He went to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and he stayed there by himself. Now, here's God's man, but he's a man. I think why the Bible tells us this is because some of us think God can't use us. I'm not very smart, Pastor. God can use you. I'm not very strong, Pastor. God can use you. I'm not very skillful, Pastor. God can use you. Pastor, I've got a, a sordid life. God can use you. God has a way of taking broken things and repairing them and using them. And Elijah is going to go through depression. He's going to go through the dark night of the soul. Now, I want you to understand there's two types of depression. There's chemical depression that's caused by a lack of chemical or chemicals in your body. And that kind of depression has to be treated by a medical doctor giving you medication. And there's nothing wrong with going to medical doctors to get medicine for your ailments and sicknesses. God provides them, does he not? The Apostle Paul, who was a great man of faith, had a personal physician follow him, Dr. Luke. So God can use his Holy Spirit, he can use doctors, he can use both. But the second kind of depression is not chemical, but it's circumstantial. And it's, that kind of depression is not brought on by a chemical problem. It's brought on by a circumstantial problem. You're overwhelmed by life. And so Elijah has a depression he's battling. A depression that's caused by circumstance. 
This great prophet has just come down from Mount Caramel. He's just did battle with the devil's gang of 850 false prophets. He's just seen God work a mighty miracle. He, ladies and gentlemen, is exhilarated, but he's exhausted. Elijah the prophet is running on empty. He hasn't had much sleep. He hasn't eaten much except fast food from McDonald's. He hasn't had time to read the Word. He hasn't had time to pray. He's all alone. He hasn't got anybody to help him with this work. And because of that, all happening all at one time, he becomes exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. He runs out of gas. And when that occurs, stress comes into his life. And when stress came in, he became frustrated. And in his frustration, he became depressed. And depression caused him to be hopeless. And so when Jezebel sends him a note and says, I'm going to kill you, that pushed him over the edge and he ran for his life. Now, if you continue reading in chapter 19, you'll see that God, the great physician, is going to heal Elijah's depression. How is he going to do it? Number one, he's going to give him rest. He takes Elijah away from all of the activity that he's in, got involved in and he puts him to sleep. Elijah needed to go to sleep. He was so high strung, he was so wore out, he couldn't sleep. So God puts him to sleep. Makes him go to sleep. He hadn't been eating right. You can't live on hamburgers and french fries. Can't live on hamburgers and french fries, young people. <laughs> and older people. You've got to have balanced nutrition. So God commissions a group of ravens to bring him some meals from Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Paula Dean's restaurant. Mama's home cooking. And the ravens feed the prophet. And then the prophet rested, eating well. He begins to have time to meditate again on the Word of God. He has time again to pray and, and renew his spiritual batteries. And then God sends him a helper. The work that God gives us, we can't do alone, ladies and gentlemen. We need help sometimes. And so God raises up another prophet who also will be his friend, and his name is Elisha. And he gives Elisha to Elijah to be a friend. And then God, seeing that his man is now rested, strong because he's eat well, right spiritually because he's had time to spend with God, confident because he has some help now, God sends him back to work. Because when you're depressed, you don't want to do anything. That's one of the classic signs of depression. No energy, no motivation. You just want to sit. And so God gets him off his hind quarters and sends him back to work. Aren't you glad God knows us? He knows exactly what we need, when we need it, and how to give it to us. And then lastly and in closing, we're going to look at the victory of Elijah. Elijah's recommissioned. 
this man of virtue, this man of prayer, this man who knew how to work miracles because his God was able and he believed it and called upon him to do it, has now went through a period of depression. God puts him back on his feet and God begins to give him victory. Say, Pastor, what happened to King Ahab? He went to the dogs. He would be killed in battle. And just as Elijah the prophet prophesied, his blood was licked up by the wild dogs as he lay dead on the battlefield. Pastor, what happened to Queen Jezebel? She went to the dogs too. Now it took her a little bit longer before she got her in, but she got it. She got pushed off a high place in the capital city. Her body hit the pavement. It splattered on the pavement. Not trying to be gross, I know lunch is coming. And the dogs eat her for lunch. So King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, who put their confidence in Baal, went to be where Baal is. They joined him. Elijah did a great victory for God. He showed that nation that God was still on his throne. He showed those leaders that you don't mess with God. He showed those people, you better repent or you're going to perish. What would happen to Elijah as we close? When his work was over, God sent a taxi from heaven to come pick him up. Or maybe it was an Uber car, I don't know. But God sent a fiery chariot down from glory. <laughs> and God picked up the prophet Elijah and took him straight to heaven. He never died. He just disappeared like some of us one day are going to do. And then Elijah would make another appearance. Hundreds of years after this all happened, Jesus Christ would stand on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Son of Man in His humanity would unveil Himself as the Son of God in His deity. And standing behind Him or beside Him when He did this would be two prophets from the past. One would represent the law. The other would represent the prophets. Who represented the law? Moses. Who represented the prophets? Elijah. And they stood next to Jesus in all of His glory. And then in Revelation chapter 11, God is going to send two prophets in the future to Jerusalem. These two prophets are going to stand against Satan's Superman, the Antichrist. There'll be a showdown in Jerusalem. And the Bible doesn't tell us the name of these two prophets, but the Bible says that one of the prophets will be able to turn water into blood. And the other prophet will be able to bring fire down from heaven to consume. I wonder, just wonder, ladies and gentlemen, if these two prophets that God will raise back and bring back to the city of Jerusalem in the future is not Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine the response in Israel if those two prophets walked the streets again? There's an expression called seize the day. 
Seize the day. When you see an opportunity, seize the day. Seize the moment. Don't, don't kick the can down the road. Don't wait till tomorrow because the opportunity, the moment may not last. Elijah seized the moment. God called him and he answered the call. He became a spokesman for God. He walked with God. He lived with God. And he made a difference for God until God took him to be with him. I hope you understand that there's some Elijahs out here. The question is, do you want to be one? September 11th, 2001. United Flight 93. Terrorists have hijacked the aircraft. They're going to turn the aircraft toward the nation's capital and they're going to plow that massive airplane into Washington, D.C. Their hope is to catch the president and his staff in the White House and kill them. As the terrorists have hijacked that flight, and are turning the plane toward Washington, there's a man on that flight by the name of Todd Beamer. Todd has got a cell phone and he's having a conversation with his wife. He's telling her in bits and pieces as much as he can what's happening. And he finally says to her, we've got to do something. He sends his love, hangs up the phone, and cries out to his fellow passengers, Let's roll! And you know what happened. They stormed the cockpit. Fist fights developed with the terrorists. They disposed of a couple of them, got into the cockpit, and wrestled for control of that plane. Though they never could regain control of the plane, the terrorists lost control of the plane too. And that massive plane would crash in a field. All of them would die, but they were going to die anyway. But nobody else would die. Crises don't make men. Crises reveal men. Crises don't make Elijah's. They just reveal them. And I wonder if God isn't saying today to us, let's roll. Our nation is in crisis. The church of Jesus Christ is in crisis. Homes are in crisis. And maybe God is saying to us, seize the moment, let's roll. I need some Elijahs. You be the Elijah. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.